Good morning. morning. Worthy is our God, the one who loved us and freed us from our sin by the shedding of his blood. Would you turn in your scripture with me, please, this morning to Psalm 95. Psalm number 95. The Psalms are the songbook of God's people in the Old Testament. Psalm 95 tells us that Jehovah is worthy of praise and thanksgiving for worship, of worship for who he is and what he has done and the danger of neglecting the true worship of Jehovah. We will see in this Psalm, in its original context and historical content in the Old Testament, We'll be blessed by viewing it even more clearly through the lens of the New Testament scriptures written by the apostles John, Peter, Paul, and the author of the book of Hebrews. The objective of the sermon this morning is this, to magnify the Lord Jesus and give glory to his name, the name above all names. And the means of doing that will be by declaring that Jesus Christ is worthy of praise, thanksgiving, and worship because of who he is and what he has done in creation and in redemption for this purpose, for this purpose, that the Holy Spirit of God might produce true spiritual praise, thanksgiving, and worship in the people of Christ because he is worthy and it is good for our souls. As we look at Psalm 95 this morning, we'll see in verses 1 and 2 that our God is worthy of praise, thanksgiving, and worship. Verse 3, we see that our God is worthy for who he is. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that our God is worthy for his work of creation. Verse 6 and the first half of 7 tell us that our God is worthy for his work of redemption. And then the psalm concludes with a warning, do not harden your hearts. Listen now to the word of God from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter in to my rest. This is the word of God. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word from Psalm 95 today. I pray that you would preach the, uh, bless the preaching of it to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the good of the souls of his people here this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is worthy of praise, thanksgiving, and worship. <clears throat> we commonly speak about those things, praise and thanksgiving and worship, and a lot of times we don't give it much thought. So before we look at this psalm that is saturated with that, I would like to ask the question, what really are praise and thanksgiving and worship? 
I'd like to answer that in light of the command to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. You remember, the Lord Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, what was the greatest of all the commandments? And he quoted there from Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, The most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The mind, the heart, and the soul. All three of those components of we that are human beings that know the Lord Jesus Christ should be engaged in praise and thanksgiving and worship. Think with me for just a moment. The mind, the mind is the seat of understanding, which results in knowledge. The heart is the seat of emotions, which results in feelings. And the soul is the seat of the will, which results in action. So as we meditate on the Word of God, as we think on the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, let us embrace it with our minds. Let us embrace it with our heart. And let us embrace it with our souls and let us respond accordingly. Praise. What is praise? Well, literally, it means to lift up a cry and shout for joy. I like that concept of lifting up a cry and shouting for joy. It may be that in our dedication to being precise and accurate with the Word of God, there are times that we have forgotten to stop and praise God with our mind and with our heart and with our emotions. Let that not be so, because joy, excuse me, praise is, is the passionate expression of holy enthusiasm. Let us lift up our voices. Let us shout for joy and give Him glory. Lift up your hands to God. Lift up your face to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shout for joy and give Him glory. Lift up. Lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us lift up our minds as we meditate upon the gospel. Let us lift our minds and magnify him and glorify him and honor him and celebrate him and devote ourselves to him. And let it not be lost on us emotionally either. Let us lift up our emotions and admire him and applaud him and commend him for who he is and what he has done. And let all that result in praising him with our actions. May our actions at home, at work, at church, at school always point to him and give him the acclaim and the honor that he so richly deserves and magnify him and glorify him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Let us praise our risen Lord Jesus, the one who loved us and has freed us from our sins and washed us in his blood. Thanksgiving means to extend the hands. <clears throat> Thanksgiving is showing gratitude to God for the mercy and grace and kindness of God to us in Jesus Christ. It's showing appreciation and recognizing the blessings that we have received from God. Blessings that we don't deserve. Blessings that we cannot provide and blessings that we cannot obtain apart from God's grace. We give thanksgiving to Almighty God. Praise, thanksgiving, and worship. The concept of worship literally means to bow down. To bow down. That's a real issue for some of us, isn't it? It's a real issue for me. That wasn't the way I was brought up. That's not the culture that I was raised in. If we truly worship God, we bow down. It literally means to fall on one's face or to sink to one's knees out of reverence, respect, devotion, honor, 
adoration, awe, fear, and astonishment for our God who is worthy. Worship. Let us think on those things today as we think about offering praise and thanksgiving and worship to Almighty God. Look with me, please, at verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us certainly indicates a congregational response. Even in the Old Testament, the people of God assembled at particular times and particular places to worship their God. They're exhorted here to make a joyful noise, or in other words, to rejoice. Why? Or to whom? To the rock of our salvation. And that rock of our salvation is written here by the psalmist would have hearkened them back to the exodus out of Egypt. They would have thought about God uh, opening the Red Sea and allowing them to pass through and collapsing it on Pharaoh and destroying his army. They would have thought about uh, the mountain altogether on a smoke at Sinai as Moses went up there and Almighty God gave them the law. He is the never-changing rock where we find deliverance and safety is what the psalmist is communicating. It describes God as strong and eternal, stable, and a place of safety and security. But not only is he the never-changing rock, he was also the rock that followed them throughout the desert. He was the spiritual rock that followed them. He is the rock that Moses smote at the direction of God at Horeb, and the water came out of it, and the people shall drink, is what Almighty God said. Now, I'm very careful to not spiritualize passages from the Old Testament and make them mean things that they don't for the purpose of a relatively good sermon. But praise God, I don't have to do that this morning because none other than the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 tells us plainly that that rock was Christ, that that rock was Christ. And he said that these things, those things that this psalmist is referring to in 95, he said, and these things took place as examples for us. So as we look at the rest of this psalm, I want us to look at it in the light of the fact that that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them through the desert by which Almighty God watered them, physically and spiritually, was none other than Christ. And in light of the fact that it was given to us for an example, we shall see Christ in the rest of this psalm. Look at verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Think about that for just a moment. Our God is everywhere with thanksgiving and with reverence. Well, not only that, but our God is worthy for who He is. Our God is worthy for who He is. Verse 3 tells us that the Lord is a great God, and He is a King above all gods. He is Jehovah. That is the name whereby He identified Himself to His man Moses. It means that He is the self-existent, eternal, great God. Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. The man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is our great God and our Savior. He is holy. He is separate and above all of His creation. Christ Jesus the Lord is the great King. He is majestic in all things, and He is sovereign over everything. Jesus Christ is above all gods. He is superior in respect to the false gods of the heathen, to the false gods of this world. 
to the false gods of the minds and the imaginations of men and women that believe that they are truly bowing and worshiping a God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one true God, and he is superior and greater in every respect. The Bible tells us that in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We read in 1 Peter that he is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He is our great God. He has no rival. There is no man, there is no beast, there is no angel, not Satan himself, that is a rival to the Lord Jesus. He has declared the end from the beginning. He accomplishes all that he has purposed in his own time, and he does not seek or accept counsel from anyone. He rules all things, and he sustains all things. And he, our Lord, shall judge all men and angels who have ever been. And he will judge them with undiluted righteousness and irresistible justice. And there is no appeal. And the consequences of his judgment are eternal. The Lord Jesus is just in graciously bestowing salvation upon whom he will. And he is just in dispensing the consequences that are deserved by unbelief. Eternal separation from God in hell. And both of those, both of those, salvation and the damnation of those who have refused to bow the knee bring him everlasting glory. Praise his holy name. We see in verses 4 and 5 that our God is worthy for his work of creation. Verse 4 says, In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The deluded men of this world scream chaos randomness, chance, and evolution. Just one glance at nature around us and we see that nature announces creation, creation. But the Word of God plainly declares an all-powerful God with a purpose, an all-powerful God with a purpose. Our God is worthy for His work of creation. The psalmist talks about in his hand of the depths of the earth and the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. The references to hands here are intended to communicate to us the hugeness and the vastness and the immensity and the power of God and the creative power of God in bringing forth and sustaining all things. Everything that there is that is not God came into the existence as the result of the word of his power. Speaking directly of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, we read, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The author to the Hebrews tells us in the very beginning of that book that through Christ, God created the world and that Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he doesn't uphold this universe 
in the concept that some men have of an atlas with the world upon his shoulders just passively sustaining it where it is. No, the idea there is is that Christ rules and reigns and he administrates and he brings to pass his purpose and his sovereign will in every life, in every raindrop, in every hair that falls, in every mote of dust that flies. He is in absolute, total, complete control. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The very deepest parts of the earth to the very highest mountains belong to him. The oceans are his. The deserts are his. He and he alone brought it all forth from the womb of nothingness by speaking it into existence by the word of his power. And make no mistake, it was not because he needed it. He is completely and totally self-sufficient. It's not because he needed it, but simply because it pleased him to do so. And all for his own glory. Justly so and rightly so. The Lord Jesus is worthy of the worship of all beings because all beings have been brought forth by the word of his creative power. And they all continue to exist because he sustains them. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Our God is worthy for his work of redemption. Our God is worthy for his work of redemption. Redemption simply means that he has bought us out of the slave market of sin by his own blood. Verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Our maker. Worship is an act of of humility. As we prayed before the service began this morning, Jeff prayed that our worship would be filled with joy and that it would be filled with reverence. Amen, brother. Amen. The joyful noise of praise is to always be accompanied by the deepest reverence of worship. The joyful noise that we make unto the Lord is to always be accompanied by the deepest reverence of worship. Worship means to bow down or kneel in the presence of Almighty God. Now, friends, let me tell you, posture is not everything, but posture is something. Posture is not everything, but posture is something. There's no place in the Scriptures where we're commanded to assume any posture when we pray to the Lord God. But over and over and over, we see the people of God on their knees and on their face. God hears prayers when knees aren't bent. But we should humble our heart and we should always bow in the presence of our holy God with humility as we seek to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let us bow low before our gracious God. We must worship Him and Him alone in the way that He commands us in the Scriptures. A bar from one of the old Puritans. He said something a lot like this. He said, We must worship the great King above all gods. He is no God of lead. He is no God of bread. 
He is no brazen God, no wooden God. We must worship none but our Lord. Not any martyr, only our maker. Not any saint, but our Savior alone. Bow low before Christ and worship him. To that I say, amen. Christ is to be worshipped with every part of our corporate worship. Every part of our corporate worship. The Lord God is honored by us being punctual and being here and starting on time. And he's honored by preachers that don't go way too long, too. Every part of our corporate worship is to bring glory and honor to Christ. Songs of praise. The public reading of the scriptures. The corporate confession of sin. As good as that is for our souls, its primary purpose is to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Public prayer. The preaching of the gospel. The ordinances of believer's baptism and the Lord's table are all to be done in His name. They're all to be done for His glory. They're all for His glory and they're all for our good. Let us done, do it with joy and thanksgiving and worship and reverence. And likewise, all of our personal worship as well. Why? Verse 7, the first half of it tells us why. For He is our God. He is not just the great God. He is not just the God above all gods. He is our God, and we are His people. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Here it is, the chief reason for the people of God to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jehovah is the God of His people who we are because He has called us out of the darkness into the light. The eternal Most High God the Father has entered into covenant with Christ His Son to save us and to make us His sons and daughters. Those things that we would never have done and could not have done if we had been able to choose to. From before the world began, He has chosen us out and He sent His only begotten Son to save us, His people, from our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ is indeed our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep by God's decree. Our pastures are not our own. They belong to him. We are not our own. We belong to him. We are rebellious and unfaithful slaves and servants to Christ, but he has bought us with his blood. We are the people that he leads. We are the people that he feeds. We are the people that he protects, and we are the people that he rules on this earth in this day. He is our God, and we are his people. He is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is our shepherd. And not without blood. The Lord Jesus is eternal God. By the power of God, the Holy Spirit, He was made flesh in the womb of the virgin. He came forth just as you and I. He was tested and He was tempted, yet without sin. The Lamb of God, without spot and without blemish, the great and good shepherd of Jehovah was made to be sin for us by Jehovah. In Zechariah chapter 13, listen to these words. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Did you hear that? Awake, O sword, against 
my shepherd. The man who stands next to me. Who said that? The Lord of hosts. Jehovah God. The father spoke and he said, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who stands next to me, none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. Strike the shepherd. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. We read that in the gospel as well. That prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When the glittering sword of God's justice was unsheathed and the good shepherd was smitten for the sins of his sheep, he bore our sins. He shed the blood of God for us and he purchased our redemption. He dismissed his spirit and he experienced death upon that cross after having experienced the full and total wrath of God against my sin and against yours, my brother in Christ. He dismissed his spirit from his body and he experienced death. But death could not hold him. On the morning of the third day, he took his life back up and declared victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over hell and victory over the grave. The God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord, is seated on the throne of God's sovereignty, ruling and reigning for His glory and for our good every minute of every day. That is Jesus Christ our Lord. He reigns for His glory and our good. And He's coming again soon to judge the living and the dead and to receive us unto Himself that we may be where He is forever and forever and forever. Praise his holy name. We have heard his voice. He has called us by name. And he has led us out of darkness unto light and from death unto life. By his blood, he has made us the sons and the daughters of God. He knows us and we know him. He goes before us and we follow him for we know his voice. He gave his life for his sheep, and he took it up again. He has given us eternal life. We shall never perish. And there is none, not Satan himself, that can snatch us out of the Father's hand. The sheep have been speaking. Now in the second half of verse 7, we hear, from the shepherd's perspective. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Verse 7, beginning in the second half of that, says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. You remember that those that God was delivering from Egyptian bondage tested him there, and they quarreled with him. References will be found in Exodus chapter 17. Don't test God. Don't quarrel with God. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, worship him. Praise him. Give him thanks. Trust him. You see, that was the problem at Meribah and Masa. God had done over and over and over for them, yet they would not trust because he would not deal with them on the terms that they wanted to be dealt with. My friend, let me tell you, 
You cannot come to God yesterday and you cannot come tomorrow. Believe today that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't harden your heart. I preach this sermon to myself a lot more than you'd want to hear it this week, I promise. And maybe the thing that struck me the most out of all of this that was God speaking to my heart was yesterday morning when I realized what old John Gill said was absolutely true. We cannot soften our hearts, but we can harden them, and the consequences will be fatal. You want a soft heart? I want a soft heart. Do you want a soft heart? Did you know that we cannot soften our hearts? That that only comes from the Lord our God. Pray for me that God will make my heart soft. And I will pray that God will make your heart soft. We can't soften our hearts. Oh, we can harden our hearts, can't we? We can harden our hearts. And as old John Gill said, the consequences of that are fatal, and I might add, eternal. When your fathers put me to the test, in verse 9, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, this is when all that took place in verse 8, even though they had witnessed his work of judgment on the Egyptians, the plagues, delivering the Hebrews from bondage, leading them through the Red Sea, the destruction of Pharaoh and his army, leading them by a pillar of cloud and fire through the desert, feeding them daily with manna, and giving them water out of the smitten rock that was Christ, they would not believe, and they demanded that God deal with them on their terms. Well, surely the God of love and grace and mercy will overlook that. No, no. Look at verse 10. For 40 years, that's longer than most of you guys have been born. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. That's a strong word, loathed. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. You want a recipe for going astray in your heart? Just don't know God's ways. Our hearts are deceitfully desperate and wicked. And unless and until by God's grace, he gives us a heart of flesh to replace the heart of stone that lives within us naturally, we will go astray and we will not know his ways. So my friends, I want to tell you, you're no longer ignorant. I don't, I don't think that there was anyone that were ignorant of the gospel when they came in here this morning, but you've heard the gospel this morning. The Lord Jesus left his home in glory and he died for ungodly men and sinners like me and you. And he resurrected out from among the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. We're not ignorant of that. Neither were they. They did not go astray and they did not fail to know God's ways through ignorance. They had his law, they had his prophets, and they had his priests. Their hardness of heart was just simply due to mankind's natural depravity that exists in each and every one of us naturally. They weren't unlike Paul when he persecuted Christ by persecuting the church. He was a man that had plenty of enthusiasm but no real knowledge of God. 
He knew the Old Testament a lot better than you or I. And you can't for one moment deny that he was not zealous. Or you can't deny that he was zealous. He was, he was a fellow that didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk in persecuting the Lord Jesus through his church. He actually thought that he was doing God's work until the Lord Jesus Christ interrupted him on his way to Damascus and saved his soul and made him the apostle to the Gentiles. And thank God that he did. They have not known my ways. You know, out of that whole generation that left and went up there, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that made it to the promised land. And this is what God said about them. He said they had a different spirit. You know where they got that spirit, don't you? By God's grace, directly from his hand. Not only did he loathe them, look at our last verse 11. He said, therefore, or in light of that fact, in light of the fact that they're astray and that they have not known my ways, I have swore in my wrath. It is a significant thing when Almighty God swears about anything. There are several occasions of that in the scriptures where he makes these promises by his own name. Here he says, I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. You know, believe it or not, there's some good news in that verse. There is a rest to be had for the people of God. There is a rest to enter into not the Sabbath day, but the true Sabbath, Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is synonymous with entering into the rest of Almighty God. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. He is our altar. There are some that will enter in by God's grace. But for those that continue hard-hearted and with a Spirit that separates them from God. God has sworn in his wrath that they will not enter into his rest. The rebels in the days of Moses could not enter in because of unbelief. It's talked about in the book of Hebrews extensively. The author there talked about their disobedience and their rebellion against God, and he finally summed it all up, and he said they could not enter in. You'd expect him to say because of their disobedience and because of their rebellion, but that's not what he said. He said they could not enter in because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Here's a warning for all of us that have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ from Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you get that? You see that sin is deceitful and it hardens? Don't miss that. None of you, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of praise and thanksgiving and worship. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy for who he is. The Lord Jesus is worthy for his work of creation. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Our Lord Jesus is worthy for his work of redemption in our lives, my brother and sister in Christ. When we look in the book of the Revelation and we see the Lord Jesus there being worshipped, we see him in several different ways. 
from the king of glory with eyes of fire and hair of wool and a sword. But on that day that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 5, where he is given all glory and all honor, he appears as a lamb having been slain. Out of all the things that glorify our Lord Jesus, the fact that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world for the sins of his people, is the insignia that he wears to glorify himself, and deservedly so. <clears throat> Listen to this, and I'll pray and we'll be done. From Revelation chapter 5. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May we say Amen. And may we fall down and worship Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Will you pray with me?